Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card. What you are about to hear was recorded several years ago at the Mole Inn Studio. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed over the years, the powerful lessons from the music and conversations are as true as when we first heard them. You can stay current with Michael's music and teaching ministry via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. Now, join us for this classic edition in the studio. In the studio with Michael Card, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to our broadcast today. Michael, this so often happens, by the time we begin actually putting the program together, we've spent much time in conversation with our guests already. I, I feel like that we are much richer for the time with our guests today. Oh, uh, me too. And, that, and I always look forward to you and Joe coming down because it, it really is, it's a time of fellowship. And uh, well, so thank talked, you for coming. We've talked about this before. Community is one of the values we have on this program. And that happens on the air and it happens off the air. Mm-hmm. And I'm just uh, thrilled to be a part of it. I'm mm. glad that we can turn the mics on now so our listeners can be a part yeah, of this me as too. well. Me too. We're going to talk again today with Brennan Manning, who joins us here. His new book is called The Rabbi's Heartbeat, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but we're going to ask you to sing a song here. John Ketchings joins you on the song. By the way, in the second half of the program, Kirk Whalem will mm. be here, the great jazz saxophonist. So well, it'll be great to see him as well. We've got much to look forward to today. Will you sing the song for us, though? Yeah, the song is a very simple prayer. Uh, Jesus, let us come to know you. Ready? Mm-hmm. song, I believe, is a great introduction to our guests and our topic here in the studio today. Thank you, Michael. Mm-hmm. Once again, we welcome Brennan Manning to the studio, someone that I know that you always enjoy talking with. Actually, Brennan has been a great encouragement and teacher mentor for you. Yeah, since he? since about 1983 or four, uh, we actually, I read one of his books and just, we started writing. And uh, and I wrote him a letter and sort of prodded him a little bit, teased him a little bit, and I got this wonderful letter teasing me back, and we've been good buddies ever since. <laughs> Brennan, welcome. Thank you, Wayne. Now, um, you have a new book out called The Rabbi's Heartbeat, and I know Michael has a long list of questions. I've read through the book, and it, it's so intimate, uh, the relationship that we should be having with Christ. We'll get to that intimacy, and I know Michael has questions for you. But the question I have is, why do you call him Rabbi? Uh, in the book title. Is there some special significance to the intimacy there? Yes. Uh, specifically, our Jewish brothers and sisters are upset by referring to the Old and the New Testament 
for them, their testament is not the Old Testament. It's the First Testament. And the Christian scriptures are the Second Testament. The reference to, let me back up. Growing up in Brooklyn, New York, the largest Jewish community in the world, I was surrounded by Jewish culture, Jewish values, Jewish spirituality. Uh, among my closest friends were Jews. And of course, one of my hobbies has been the study of Yiddish humor. Hmm. There are some wonderful stories in the Yiddish tradition, <laughs> like the story of Israel Schwartz. <laughs> one day, Israel Schwartz said to Yahweh, Yahweh, is it true that for you, a thousand years is just a minute? And Yahweh said, yes, I see, that is true. And Yahweh, is it true that for you, a million dollars is just a penny? And Yahweh said, yes, I see, that is true. Israel Schwartz said, Yahweh, give me a penny. <laughs> and Yahweh said, certainly, it'll only take a minute. <laughs> I'm just going to speak for a minute right now. <laughs> but my connection with the Jewish community, with referring to Jesus as rabbi, the most Christ-like man I've met in my life, apart from Dominic Wyoming in France, was Rabbi Mark Tannenbaum. I met him in 1956 in the seminary, and he embodied to me the integrity, the compassion, and what it, what, it, how a man could be fully a man without in any way uh, getting into the imposter, a being an entertainer, but simply being straightforward. And my identity with the Jewish community, my ties with the Jewish community, have been deeply significant over the years. And so to referring to Jesus as rabbi, the second reason is he has been my teacher. Mm-hmm. No one. As my spiritual director out in Colorado said two weeks ago, Brennan, do you realize that God has shown you the meaning of life? And it stunned me. Mm-hmm. To know the meaning of life because of Jesus Christ, the teacher. Well, He's that, been a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. I just thought there might be something behind the use of that term. It brings out uh, a part of Jesus that we sometimes don't think about enough, Michael. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Brennan. Well, the, the book is based on the biblical passage uh, where John leans into uh, Jesus and actually hears I mean, it's it's based on a story that comes out of that tradition. Uh, could you tell us that story? Yeah, what happened there was I was out on a uh, silent retreat uh, in uh, Colorado, and my spiritual director suggested that I spend f- five, de- five days uh, reading John's Gospel. And what happened was every time that I opened John's Gospel, I found, went to chapter 13, verses uh, uh, 21 to 23, and it's where the Apostle John... Now, remember, this is a 23-year-old kid Hmm. in an incredible gesture of intimacy, lays his head on the chest of Jesus. Hmm. And the premise is, if you lay your head long enough on the chest of Jesus and listen to his heartbeat, you will come to an intimate, heartfelt knowledge of Christ that is beyond any kind of head knowledge, beyond any kind of theology, beyond any kind of poetry, beyond any kind of the uh, thousands of books that have been read over the years. And yeah, really beyond words at all, right? It's a wordless, uh, mystical, can I use the word mystical? It's a mystical relationship. It is. It's the truth is that Jesus wants to communicate his heart to us more than we want to hear it. Hmm. And the prayer of the heart, getting out of the head, and this endless mental conversation that is going on yeah. all the time mm-hmm. with our families, our ministries, our friends, our careers, our projects, to drop into the center of yourself to get in touch with your heart and just listen to the heart of Jesus brings a kind of knowledge that is not available in any other fashion. Mm. 
And the way we get there, we've talked about this before we open the mics here today, the way we get there is through silence. Yes, the Christian tradition emphasizes, and as long, this is goes, not recent, this goes back to the uh, early church fathers back in the uh, second, third, and fourth centuries, that God gives himself to you completely only in silence and in solitude. I have found that in evangelical prayer, the typical prayer is of short duration and it's quite verbose. There's quickly reading some scripture, reflecting for a moment on what the passage means, and then there's a grocery list of people to intercede for, and maybe close with the Lord's Prayer. Mm. But it's all talking, no listening, all head, not enough heart. When you lay your head on the rabbi's heartbeat, and by the way, he says, come, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open, I'll come in and sit down beside you. Not across the table, but I'll sit down beside you and you come and lay your head on my chest as John did in the upper room. Mm. The invitation is there. Simply Peter to grow still with Jesus to grow in faith, it is indispensable to me to spend every day and realistically 20 minutes in the morning, uh, 20 minutes in the evening. I mean, there is other time for scripture reading. There's other time for intercessory prayer. Mm-hmm. But this is simply a time of silence, a time of silent listening. And get rid of all spiritual materialism. By that I mean don't evaluate the prayer at the end of the 20 minutes by saying, Oh, nothing happened. Hmm. I was continually bored. I was continually distracted. Hmm. Nothing happened. How did I feel? How did I feel? (laughs) But from Jesus' point of view, holy mackerel. (laughs) He shows up, she shows up every day and gives me the most precious thing they have, their time. Wow. Brennan, we all benefit so much from Michael's music. It just occurs to me that Michael's got a song that fits this moment perfectly. It's called In Stillness and Simplicity, right, Michael? Yeah, and I think this book, this song really came from one of your books as well. So I would love to hear song this for song. You. Yeah. In stillness and simplicity In the silence of the heart I see The mystery Stillness and simplicity In stillness and simplicity I hear the Spirit's silent plea That you, O Lord, are close to me In stillness and simplicity You're the song says it all. Wow. This sounds like someone who's been reading Brennan Manning books, actually. (laughs) That's where that song came from. I would just like to add this, that this period of 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening is literally impossible for parents who have small children. Mm -hmm. I don't want to impose impossible burdens there. So what I would suggest there is just spontaneous prayers throughout the day, uh, which represent your desire to maintain contact with Jesus, but don't go laying a guilt trip on yourself because 
you find that impossible, or you're getting up at three o'clock in the morning. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of listeners took comfort in what you just well, said. I love what Brother Lawrence did. Uh, practices the presence of uh, God. When whenever he sensed that he had failed, he wouldn't uh, put the burden back on himself. He would pray. Lord, if, if you let me go, if you take your hand away, I'm always going to do the same thing. So whatever you do, don't take your hand off me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much, that's a much, uh, a much better approach. You yes. know, oh, I've, oh, oh I, I failed. Do too, oh, I didn't pray my 20 yes. minutes. Well, Lord, don't take your hand off me because I'm always going to fail if you don't stay close to me. So. We are talking with Brennan Manning in the studio today with Michael Card, and we're going to talk further now. But I want to point out that going hand-in-hand hand with a book that you've written, The Rabbi's Heartbeat, is a song that, after Michael read the book, he wrote. And we're going to ask Michael to sing that for and us. And, you know, I day. am positively thrilled with this mm. song. Uh, to me, it not only captures the theme of the book, but like a good, inspired song will do, it'll take it a step further. Mm. So, yeah, please, we'll ask, let's hear that. We'll ask Michael to sing it for us here in just and a few moments. And the title of it is... The Rabbi's Heartbeat. The Rabbi's Heartbeat. But before we get to that point, we'll conclude the segment actually with a song. But okay. before we get to that point, let's get back into what Brennan is saying in the book, Michael. Before we listen to that last song, uh, we, we were talking about uh, where the song came from uh, biblically and Jesus' invitation to come and lay our head uh, on his chest, as it were, to hear his, mm-hmm. to hear his heart. And, and, and Brennan, you've been a person who has incurred, for years has, has encouraged me in so many different ways. I mean, you engage the imagination. I mean, that's your thing. You engage with the imagination so well. Um, it, but in your own experience, can you remember um, maybe the first time or maybe the most powerful time when you sensed the rabbi's heartbeat? Can you think back to one time, or is that not fair to ask for just one experience? Oh, yeah. That's... It's as vivid in my mind as if it happened yesterday. Mm. And it was February 8th of 1956. Wow. I was making got to the 12th station and said, Jesus dies on the cross. The rubric of the book said, kneel. And the angelus bells in the distance were ringing. I knew it was exactly uh, noon. And I knelt down, and at five minutes after three, I got off my uh, knees and realized the greatest adventure of my life had just begun, and during those three hours, Jesus took me to a place I'd never been. He took me into his heart. I had heard in grade school, in high school, from the priests, the nuns, the brothers, that Jesus died on the cross for me, but it was all abstract knowledge. It was a head trip. It wasn't related to the gut issues of life like money, sex, power, fame, and suddenly it became real knowledge, calling for an engagement of the mind and the heart. And from that day, my Christian life became totally Jesus-centered, even though in the Catholic tradition I was raised in, there was so much emphasis on uh, sacramentality, but the person of Jesus and the, the indescribable beauty of Jesus, the Without his compelling personality, Christianity would never have become a fact of history. Mm-hmm. And so that's been the center of my life going back now uh, over 40 years. Mm-hmm. But even in describing that experience, and you write about this so openly and honestly in your book, even after that experience, I mean, life has had its ups and downs and challenges and yes. frustrations for you, and yet you always come back to him, don't you? Yes. Uh, because of his faithfulness. His faithfulness. His refusal to let me go. I am a living witness to the myth, once converted, fully converted. (laughs) (laughs) That once you're converted to Jesus, you'll never have a bad thought, have an unkind word. And you're something like like a patient etherized on a table that you're completely immobile. <laughs> what does the hymn writer say? Uh, flowery beds of ease, Didn't, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'd like to just close with a word before we hear Michael's song that uh, there's been a lot of attention paid to me in this program. And the simple fact is of your kindness, Wayne, and the years I've known you for Michael, you are much closer to Jesus than I am. Mm. You're one of the most, among the, when I list five Christ-like people in my life, you are right there on top Mm. of the list. And it's really with honor Mm. that I call you my friend. And I can't tell you the delight 
mm. of meeting you today, Wayne, mm. and Thank sharing you. this program. Likewise. Mm. Thank you. I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Perhaps the best thing to do at this moment is hear the song that, Michael, came to your heart and mind after reading Brennan's book, mm-hmm. The Rabbi's Heartbeat. In the studio, here's Michael Card. to live over again. I'd climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. Mm-hmm. But most of all, I would love your son Jesus and those around me, and I would let them know before life's evening. Ah, but you know how I live every day, kind of prophylactically. I never go anywhere without a hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, an umbrella, a parachute, and a raft. Mm-hmm. But if I had my life to live over again, I take a few more chances next time. I'd have more real problems and fewer imaginary ones. Mm-hmm. I'd ride more merry-go-rounds. I'd pick more daisies. I'd go barefoot earlier in the spring and stay out later in the fall. But most of all, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to bless every listener here mm-hmm. and draw them closer to your heart 
to the glory of the Father. Amen. Lord Jesus, allow us to be the ones who come close and lean against, lean into, lean upon you. Uh, give us ears to hear your heart amidst all the confusion and all of the the mixed messages, uh, the con the confusing messages. Uh, allow us to hear that that's that silent message, that wordless message uh, of who you are and what you mean and 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 how you how you are towards us, that you are the one who would pursue us, would uh, drive us uh, into the banquet that we keep for some reason we keep fleeing away from. Um, thank you for being. Uh, so unlike anything we could have ever dreamed of or expected. Thank you for uh, your faithfulness to us uh, when we are so uh, consistently unfaithful. Thank you for uh, being kind to us when we are so unkind to each other. Uh, we love you and we, we have to ask for grace to love you and love each other more and uh, more like you. So we ask that in your name. Amen. Brennan Manning, thank you for being with us in the studio today. I want to point out that Brennan's book, The Rabbi's Heartbeat, comes with a CD of that song we just heard Michael sing, The Rabbi's Heartbeat. So mm -hmm. we want to mention that. Michael, uh, yeah, thank you. And I want to thank you, Brennan, for coming all the way from New Orleans. Uh, I know you have some other uh, speaking engagements while you're up here, but thanks for giving us this time. Thanks for opening yeah. your heart to me, Michael, for all these years. And Wayne, what a delight to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Brennan. I'm sure we've all been challenged by today's conversation in the studio with Michael Card. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us how God is using this program or to pass along a Bible question, send your email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Patty did that and said, I thank God for this program and what I learned about God during it. Thanks to all of you for your work and your answering God's call to share your insights and talents with believers. Well, thank you, Patty. We're thankful for each message that comes in. Again, our email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Our radio audio archive is available if you miss any part of today's conversation or know someone who needs to hear the entire interview. This useful feature is easily found at www.michaelcard.com. We post the past four weeks of broadcasts on the web for your convenience. CD copies and transcripts of all of our programs are also available. And if you'd like more information about this week's edition or Michael's teaching and music ministry, including his new eight-CD teaching set on the life of Peter, join us on the web at www.michaelcard.com. Again, the web address is simply michaelcard.com. Well, after this break, we'll be back with more than a conversation. Kirk Whalem joins us with his saxophone. All this and much more when you join us after this break on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Don't miss a new session of In the Studio with Michael Card releasing next week. We'll start the hour with Michael teaching at a recent Biblical Imagination Conference. We'll uncover the big surprise of the Old and New Testaments. Then David Diller joins us for an unforgettable time of conversation and music. We'll learn about his work building banjos, hear him play, and discuss his ministry work with the Kurds in Nashville and Iraq. A very full session of teaching and picking. Details at michaelcard.com. studio with Michael Card and with jazz saxophonist Kirk Whalem.
My goodness. <laughs> How you're, about that? You're a captive audience. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk Whalem, welcome in the studio with us here. It is such a pleasure for me to be here. What's a nice jazz guy like you doing at a place like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hanging out with you guys, man. This is what friends will do. This yeah. is what real friends yeah. will do. Condescend to men, to men of low estate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Kurt, I am so happy to meet you. I can't tell you how many times Michael has said, man, you got to meet Kurt. You got to meet this guy. He's the best. Well, y'all never met? Not until today. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Not until okay. today. Uh-huh. Cool. And everyone heard what you just did. What was that? Well, actually, it was a song called All the Things You Are, which is a jazz standard. But uh, uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, th- that's not true. It was There Will Never Be Another You. I was going to do All the Things You Are. <laughs> but it's interesting to me how many jazz standards, um, if you take the title and the melody, uh, they really do relate to uh, one's relationship with the Savior. You know, you can imagine the disciples once he left before they realized that, you know, that he would indeed be back. You know, God, there will never be another you. Mm. you know? Oh, yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Well, Michael, um, we're delighted to have Kirk here today. You know, some people are saying, wait a minute, how are you going to reconcile this jazz thing with, uh, but we have no problem with that whatsoever, do we? <laughs> well, uh, that, uh, that's part of uh, Kirk's story that I wanted him to share with us is uh, he, I think he went through a process of uh, reconciling his faith with jazz and then and then had, has come out with the gospel according to jazz and some other hymns records. Not to say that you just christianized jazz i mean right. jazz in in and of itself i think mean, speaks I, th- I think is that song a wonderful mm. example of mm. so so talk to us i mean yeah. what you know what's it been <clears throat> well first of all you know aspiring to 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 play this music aspiring to learn to be a jazz musician is a lofty a very high mm. and lofty and long lifelong pursuit mm. and it's something that i think I decided at one point, you know, when when the Lord really got a hold of my heart, it was after I had become a jazz musician, mm-hmm. as it were, and I decided that I wasn't going to apologize for it. That mm-hmm. I really, uh, I wanted to pursue this music because uh, it's it's incredible. It's an, it's amazing music. Well, tell the story. I mean, can you tell us the story about the church, the people in the church coming to you and saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the 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 first thing was uh, just you know starting out as a twelve year old. Uh, uh, playing the saxophone, and the first song, of course, I learned was "Amazing Grace," and mm-hmm. and we'll have to play that a little later on. But I bet uh, you weren't like most twelve-year-olds starting on the saxophone, though. <laughs> well, you know what? Because my dad is a pastor, um, and I knew that my first venue would <laughs> would certainly be the church. <laughs> Pretty straight. <laughs> I figured I'd learn something that they, you know, that they would know. But no, but as a twelve-year-old, I the the first week I played uh, "Amazing Grace" in church, and um, fast forward really quickly and say that. To, to play Amazing Grace in front of 75 people as a 12-year-old, you know, is one thing. But then when I, uh, I guess in 1994, I played Amazing Grace on stage with Whitney Houston, with whom I had been performing, you know, for years. I played that same song in front of 75,000 people wow. in Johannesburg. Mm, wow. And 7.5 million live, you know, listening on, I mean, watching mm. on, on HBO. Mm. So to play that song, that song is like the bookends of, of my you know, <laughs> my life and career. But <laughs> but yeah, just to, to say that, you know, when I finally got to the point where I, I was I was committed to learning to be a jazz musician, um, I, I, I think that was just like, there's no, there was no stopping it because it's such a, it's such a lifelong pursuit, you know. Mm-hmm. You know? How did the church uh, deal so, with that? So that, you know, I, interestingly, in our particular setting, again, my dad being a, a pastor in what we could say as a black Baptist church, mm-hmm. Uh, for the unfortunate, you know, reason that we can separate them like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was really not too big of a struggle because so much of the music that we could classify as black gospel music, 
is is unabashedly influenced by jazz. You know, there are jazz harmonies, jazz rhythms, uh, the the melodic inflections and and phrasing. A lot a lot of that came from jazz and or rhythm and blues. Uh, so that it, it wasn't too big a deal. I think more than anything, it's a matter of when you go out and you and you're gonna learn to play jazz. Well, you know, you can't learn that pretty much in the classroom. You can learn a lot of the theory, you obviously a lot of the harmonies, but but you kind of need to go out and play. Mm-hmm. And so it was more so that it was more so playing in jazz bars. That you know, <laughs> that's the thing that uh, sort of raised the eyebrows. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I, I remember you telling us a story that there was a point when the church said this isn't appropriate. I remember you and Vance Taylor sh- sharing the same story that you did right. meet with some conflict at some point, and you right. had to say, "I'm not going to apologize for this." I- yeah. Well, yeah. I guess it, you know later on in my in my career, you know, I found um, I I know now the story you're talking about yeah, yeah. when I went to play at my mother's church. My mother at, at a later date, you know, lived in uh, in Chicago, and uh, I went and, and played at her church, and she was so excited to have me come play. She said, "Well, my son is a musician; he's going to come play." And and I and I don't think they reckoned, you know, that I was going to be playing a saxophone. I think they said, "Well, must he must play the organ?" You know, <laughs> yeah, which at this time, you know, at this time, of course, is the accepted, you know, church right, instrument. Right, right. And so I walk up in there with a saxophone case, and you could just cut the, you know, <laughs> the astonishment. Like, what is? that you know and because apparently this particular pastor had been preaching vehemently against Uh, you know these worldly instruments yeah Yeah. (laughs) i walked right into it of course my mother's oblivious she's like look at my baby (laughs) and so this pastor you could tell he had a lump in his throat like god what am i going to do now because of course you know my mom is like you know she know how big tithers in the church i was like (laughs) you know they kind of have to let this you know go through and uh sure enough it it was it was interesting to see them kind of you know, to stare in their faces. They were looking at the pastor, mm-hmm. you know, as I began to play, they were like, okay, now how's he going to react? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, when you get an instrument, whatever instrument, you know, even one of one of Michael's, you know. Well, they did the same thing to us in the 70s with guitars. Guitars are demonic. I couldn't play in my own church. Really? Right? And people forgot have forgotten that. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. in kind of in the, there was an analog of this in the white church where drums were certainly demonic, but yeah. guitar mm-hmm. music was not accepted either. Wow. Yeah. Same so it wasn't thing. personal, yeah. Kurt. Yeah, no, I <laughs> no, didn't no, think no. it personal. And eventually we, we won them over, I mean, eventually, so... Uh, that's great, but yeah, it really is. It's something how we can put, we can sort of attach our own uh, cultural dynamic to uh, to the gospel. Now I remember a morning prayer session that we had when Bill Lane was still alive, and and Kirk sort of told his story. And I remember Bill saying, uh, quoting the passage from Numbers, is it? Uh, uh, well, actually, is about when when Moses was was up uh, about to receive his marching orders, you yeah. know, up on the mountain with the burning bush, you know, and and uh, you know Moses is like, no, I don't, I can't. I stutter. I I can't do this, and yeah. and so God, in all His patience, says, "Well, you know what? What's that in your hand?" And uh, Moses is like a staff. He said, "Exactly." So I'm going to do all these these great exploits through the staff, <laughs> since you say you're not worthy. I'll show you. Yeah. I can do it with a stick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and in essence, what Bill Lane was saying to me is that that saxophone is your staff, and you've already been in front of way more people than I'll ever be. Yeah, that, your staff just curved a little differently. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was an amazing moment for me, though, because he looked at Kirk and said, "Kirk, what's that in your hand?" That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That it, was, it was a defining uh, moment for me. Yeah, yeah. me too. Me well, too. I'm kind of sad you yeah. laid that saxophone down there. I'd like to hear a little <laughs> bit more, wouldn't you, Mike? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're going to kind of put you on the spot here, Kurt. We do this with guests once in a while, cool. and, uh, you know, we'll, we we'll do it to you, too. Man, that's what, that's yeah. what we do for a living. If anybody can do it, you can do it. <laughs> I should be able to. Okay, what, you got something in mind here? Well, uh, no, let's see. I don't have anything in mind, but let's try something. Okay.
Thank you, Kirk mm-hmm. Willem. Uh, you said you didn't have it in mind. You just started playing. I mean, what's going inside the mind of the jazz man here today, Michael, don't you think? What's that going on? That is the question. Yeah. <laughs> was it just in there? Was it in the sacks? I mean, well, I think what, what it is, the concept is to have uh, enough to work on having enough technique and to have enough vocabulary in terms of, you know, harmonic idioms or... or um, you know, technical things to be able to improvise. And in fact, that to me is the wonder of jazz that really does translate so well into uh, the gospel and is sharing the gospel is that it really is about being able to communicate something much bigger than you. So you you try to get yourself to the point where you can tap into that thing. So it's always going to be greater than you. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to okay, well, I've practiced this particular piece and I've shed it, and I've I can I can um, give my interpretation of this piece. No, it's like these are the parameters. So let me see if I can prayerfully get inside of it to bring out something more beautiful. And it's always fresh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. would you do that the same way if you did it oh, all over no. again? I, I would have the hardest time. No, <laughs> you couldn't. <laughs> I've had to, that. I've had to try to do that once. I did a solo on a Luther Vandross record, who is a, who is a great singer, who by the way right now is in is in a coma. And oh. and uh, but I I I I played a solo on the record as usual. Um, but then I went out and did some live dates with him, and and he and I at this particular point I started improvising the solo, and he stopped in rehearsal. He said, No, 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 play the solo. I'm like, oh, you mean uh, from the record? Yeah, he's like, oh, geez. play oh, the no. solo. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. So I had to go back to the hotel and learn my solo, and it was the hardest thing I've ever oh. done. Oh, <laughs> so that's a bad day for you yeah, when you have to do day. that. Huh? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely, man. but isn't that the? I mean, that's the freshness. That's the joy, really, of jazz. Well, isn't you know, it? I think there's again, there's a freedom that I would love to see more Christian musicians have. Uh, that again, fortunately, I was able to to have some of that kind of fun with Michael and the guys when I did his his live uh, video, um, you know, where guys just just kind of let it flow, and I think that God's able to is more or less getting out of the way, and God can can speak more clearly when we but do. I that. think you see that in Jesus relating to people, He never relates to two people in the same way. It's right. almost like He's He's improvising. Improvising. Yeah, yeah if, in if that Jesus sense. improvised. Because there's a thing, obviously, that's bigger than their little conversation. And to me, that that's a wonderful area of creativity you see in his life. And it does. It links to jazz. As opposed to our our model, which is, you hear these four spiritual laws or, you know, here's my my script that mm. I'm going to share with lost people, which is, I guess, better mm-hmm. than nothing. But yeah, sometimes yeah. it's not much better than nothing. Well, you think about when, when Jesus, you know, spit in the ground and made, you know, the little thing out of him. I mean, uh. You, you got to think, come on. He was just, <laughs> he said, you know, I'm going to do something so far-fetched here that, you know, <laughs> yeah. just I, to prove that I am, you know, who I said I am. I think that'd make an interesting book sometime, don't you, Michael? What? Scribbling uh, in the sand? Oh, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> just wanted to get that in there, just yeah, kind of right. slide that in. You right. know, it's my attempt at improvising. I get a little piece of it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> 
Kirk, uh, your walk with the Lord. I mean, it's uh, Michael and, and you and others are in community here together, yeah. walking with Christ. And yeah. uh, how do you keep it fresh? Well, I have to say, you know, I, I won't I won't get too mushy, but because uh, I know Michael hates that. But I'll say this, man, that Michael Card is is he he wouldn't realize it, but for me, he's like a hero for for a lot of reasons. But one of the primary things is that being a member of of the Empty Hands Fellowship, which is something that the Lord just brought into my life. Um, I am one of those guys who's trying to see reconciliation happen in mm-hmm. inside the body of Christ. Again, I have no doubt that reconciliation is probably going to happen outside of the body because it seems that that's where the world is going. You yeah. know, unity and diversity and all those concepts, uh, you know, the strength and all of our cultures. But it seems like in the body of Christ, man, we're we're having the hardest time with that. Yeah. And, and I think the primary problem is that most of us don't think we need it. Yeah. And so for a white brother like Michael to to be so um, intentional mm. about this reconciliation thing, I can't begin to say to you again, it's one thing to, to talk about it, but it's very difficult for me to really put in words how important it is for me, again, living in the South again now, um, to drive to a place, park, go into a room full of guys like Michael. You know, I let my guard down and all of a sudden contrast, I'm yeah. in the safe house, you know. <laughs> And so uh, it's it's really something. Well, and it goes both ways because being friends with you has meant so much to me. I mean, I was I was telling as he came in, I, I have a, a picture of me and Kirk in my study, and whenever I, as I often tend to do, sort of get down on myself, I look at that picture and I say, "Well, Kirk Whalem thinks I'm okay, <laughs> so I must be okay." <laughs> so it goes both ways, uh, definitely, my uh, friend. A lot of hard work, though. I mean, is it easy? Oh gosh. Well, geez, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, you know. Um, my my career, my profession is, you know, you could say secular jazz musician, you know, for lack of a better term. I don't think you can be secular. Pretty, and yeah, pretty hard to put a label yeah, on that. Yeah, you, you don't know, draw that line, do you? Yeah, I think, you know, I would more aptly say mainstream um, musician because I make my living playing concerts for, for people who primarily are, are from all kinds of different uh, belief walks. and and um, But primarily they're here to hear good music. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's my job to, you know, to do that. And so I, I consider it um, a tremendous mission field. I, I consider it a, a great mandate to say that much like like Christ, you know, I'm I'm out here, you know, with this incredible message and I'm not ashamed of it. Amen to that. You know, wow. so I mean, it, Michael, you know, Kirk is touching lives that you and I will never have a chance. Right. To and talk. that was the point that Bill Bill made. Bill said, you know, I have my hundreds, but, you know, Kirk is playing to thousands. I mean, 70,000 people at a time. I remember seeing you on Saturday Night Live. That's I mean, right. I'm sure you're, you're tired of hearing that story. But <laughs> Well, yeah, when my, when the neck of my saxophone, saxophone fell broke off. off. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. it broke. I thought it broke off. Uh, I, I'm playing, while you were playing? Yeah. yeah. Well, Whitney Houston was doing a I'm Your Baby Tonight. And uh, we're back there jamming, and and sure enough, the the neck just breaks off the thing. I've yeah. never had that happen before. Yeah. Of course, it had happened on live TV, <laughs> and now it's on video for all the. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Kirk, thank you for coming here today. Now we got some time left, yeah, absolutely. and I would love to. Can can we ask? Tell us about your sax. There, I mean, is okay. this a special one to you? Well, it's a it's a German horn, uh, Keilwert, uh, K E I L W E R T H. It's the wrong color, though. What's the, it? What's is the deal? Black. It's black. It's anodized nickel, and it's anodized black, and uh, the keys are gold. And uh, it's uh, I got it in '89, and uh, it's just a really sweet horn. It's 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 like mu- like much uh, uh, stuff that's made in Germany. It's it's uh, you could it's like a tank. You can basically drop it and pick it back up and keep playing. Now is that like your is that your one? It is, is that the, the one baby. One. It yeah. is the one. Yeah, and, and unlike guitar players, you know, who collect a lot of instruments, I mean. This is it, you know. So there's a That's feel cool. to this? I, I think so, yeah. It really has. Uh, and plus, I listen to a lot of the old guys. Stan Getz, you know, uh, Ben Webster, Arnett Cobb was my mentor. In fact, this is his ring that I wear. Oh, and, wow. um, you know, those guys, they, you know, they they would communicate. You know, it's like... In other words, they weren't so much playing as they were, they were talking, they like telling stories. You know, which again, I feel like when uh, when the heart is is totally recreated in the image of Christ, 
then the improvisation that comes out of it is recreated too. Mm. And uh, it's all of a sudden sanctified unto God. So I think more and more musicians, uh, the more I see guys really trying to get into this music, I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, that, that's been my experience in listening to you, Kirk. I, I, I tried so hard, I, I, and I guess in the wrong way, to try to understand jazz. Mm-hmm. And then once we became friends, and I would go back and listen to your music, I would say, oh, I get this. Okay. Now I get this, because there was a relational element. I kind of knew where you were, and I'm still learning, and I'll, you know, I'll, I've got a lot to learn about jazz. But I must say that you were, you were a real window for me to help, help me appreciate what it's all about. I remember calling you at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, driving the bus through Idaho or something, <laughs> listening right. listen to his greatest hits, and left a message. I'm not going to say what the message was, but left, left a message on his machine. Wait going, a minute, you called him at three in the morning? Well, I knew I was going to talk to a machine, but I was. It, it was like I, I can't, I can't believe this music, you know. And I just hung up because it was so amazing. <laughs> but you're right, and and I, I I think you know, sure, jazz jazz really scans the whole uh, spectrum in terms of of complexity and sometimes maybe over the top you know I think a lot of times we're it's it's, it's it can be very narcissistic you know but but I think there's there's uh, there's something in that in this music for just about everybody yeah, yeah. I do too well brother it's been Amen. great to have you here today yeah. we've got a few seconds for you to play something as we leave here now think i ever found it quite so amazing it's just then (laughs) (laughs) it is amazing grace i believe it now yeah thank you what a great time we've had together today in the studio with michael card before we go though i want to remind you that there's more information about this program michael's music and his teaching ministry the details are all available at www.michaelcard.com There's so much going on, and when you come online, you'll be able to keep up with the new features we've developed, like the Community Magazine, Michael's monthly e-journal called From the Study, and his newly released CD teaching series on the emotional life of Simon Peter based on the book of Fragile Stone. All this, as well as an audio archive of this program, can be easily accessed online. There's so much more to explore when you stop by www.michaelcard.com. Again, that's michaelcard.com. And we hope that you'll take a moment and let us know what you think of this program. Send your email comments and Bible questions to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And then don't forget to join us right here next week at the same time for an hour in the studio you won't want to miss. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.